Did you know nuclear energy is America's largest full-time source of climate-friendly power? In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. That's almost as much as all the solar panels, wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, and all other clean energy sources combined. Energy Northwest is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Its mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit our website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and the editor of News Data's California, California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories. Uh, Jason, how are you doing? Doing great, Dan. Happy Monday. Ready for another wild week of energy reporting? Yeah, indeed. And So what do you have for us this week? Well, pretty big decision from California Air Resources Board for zero emission vehicle uh, regulation for trucks. I'll be talking about that a little bit. Then uh, I'll be talking about a a hearing I covered last week regarding service interconnection delays um, from the mostly investor-owned utilities that are causing big problems here in California. Mm. Yep. I've got some updates out of the Washington uh, legislative session, which just which just wrapped up in Olympia, uh, Washington. And then an update on Portland General Electric's latest uh, procurement effort and a snippet on Bonneville Power Administration's cluster study. Transmission cluster study. I love a good transmission cluster study. Who doesn't? Yes, especially in our industry. I, I remember when I was a little kid going to visit my grandma and just hearing her about her transmission cluster studies. Yes. Makes me feel really nostalgic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Life was simpler back then. Okay, so yes. enough of that random weirdness. Um, bring us back yep. to to reality with uh, the carb rolling. Well, I'll get as close to reality as I can here with... CARB, two significant rules at its April 27th and April 28th meetings. This is coverage from Linda Daly Paulson, one covering train locomotives and another by a truck for truck fleets that is seeing heavy opposition from guess who? The trucking industry who makes some points about charging infrastructure, et cetera. But CARB unanimously approved its proposed advanced clean fleets regulation for truck fleets on the second day of meetings. Uh, over 100 speakers on this issue. The essential part of it is all trucks in the state must be zero emissions by 2036. Um, They did tweak this rule a little bit, providing more compliance flexibility for public fleets, expanding fleet extensions and exemptions. The the regulation. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, you mentioned the trucking industry pushing back. Yeah. Did CARB address the issue of the charging infrastructure not really just requiring the saying eh, you'll get there um i think the basic thought is that the charging infrastructure will obviously be in place 
it got a lot of work um, happening with the California Energy Commission on that. But it's hard to say, you know, trucks obviously take much more juice. Um, and there's some interesting things here. I think one of the proposals is to uh, require trucks entering the state to be ZEBs, which I question how that doesn't regulate, uh, violate the interstate yeah. commerce clause. <laughs> but I'm not a lawyer, but I, I would, yeah, it seems like a pertinent question. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, as you see with these regulations, a lot of this is uh, kind of just hoping that the regulation will drive the technology, drive the investment, drive the advancements that are needed, no pun intended. And this is probably one of these cases. CARB, they said the state would see $26 billion in health savings, $48 billion in savings based on reduced direct costs for fleet operations, such as fuel and maintenance costs. But yeah, um, some of the stakeholders say more work is needed. Many requested more comment, but uh, that didn't happen. According to Linda, the support was divided across four camps. Those who wholly supported the proposal, those who supported it with some amendments, um, those contending much work is needed to make the proposed regulation workable, and those wholly opposed to the advanced clean fleets regulation, which would include trade organizations here's a quote from mr ratchkovitz he's with the western states trucking association he emailed california energy markets and said quote specifically without adequate lead time to build out the required infrastructure to support recharging of zero emissions mostly electric trucks california could easily be looking at major disruptions in both goods movement within the state and timely completion of construction projects he called it an aspirational rule he says car believes if they mandate something it will all work out they simply have not listened to the legitimate legitimate concerns of the trucking industry about a practical timeline and are setting everyone up for failure um he said you know if you thought eggs were expensive or if eight bucks for a dozen eggs was outrageous a couple months ago that easily can be the future for consumers as a result of this rule yeah this is a really great story from linda um, mm -hmm. there's lots to dig into there. Yeah. And there was also the in-use locomotive regulation aimed at reducing emissions from locomotives when they operate in the state. Uh, there are exemptions for low use historic locomotives, 23 of those in the state. So yep, more efforts from CARB. We, you know, this stuff often goes to litigation, but they've already passed the, uh, ZEV rule for passenger vehicles and. Here they are taking on the, the big rigs and implementation on, on this is, is going to be very interesting and complicated, I would say. Yeah, well, we'll be following it. Well, up here in Washington, the uh, Washington State or Legislative uh, Legislature, there we go, just wrapped up its session last month. It was, you know, they've uh, passed some pretty ambitious energy bills related to climate change in recent years. This one was a little quieter, but they did pass a bunch of smaller laws that were aimed at moving along those bigger goals set out in like the uh, 2019 Clean Energy Transportation Act, and then the Climate Commitment Act, which set up a carbon cap and investment program. So 
let's see some of the top stuff in, coming out of this session uh they passed a bill to speed up permitting and siting for renewable projects they've uh requiring uh, utilities in their regular integrated resource plans uh to include long-term transmission planning they're trying to encourage utilities to invest more in and in, uh, in transmission and then also uh, establishing requirements for a wildfire mitigation plan this is really you know, setting up like i said there's nothing major about this but i think these bills really reflect a kind of growing maturation of the of lawmakers uh working with you know industry experts to pass laws now looking forward to the issues that are coming up uh you know how do we get utilities to invest in transmission how do we make sure that they're planning and investing adequately for wildfire those sort of things um you know one one of the bills that got a little bit of heat uh was not the wildfire bill that would have been a good pun to use for that though uh-huh. but uh was actually this this is this that pun still works uh they they prohibited utilities from shutting off service to customers during periods of extreme heat. And that got some pushback from uh, utility industry representatives saying that like, this is just overreach. It's going to be a drain on resources. You know, this is time intensive. Um, We already work with people to make sure that they're not unnecessarily getting disconnected. And now you're going to ask a small utility to dedicate a person to driving around to uh, connect people when that person might be you know, better used for uh, t- you know, doing other public safety things during periods of wildfire danger. So, uh, but again, you know, it got it got some pushback, but not a lot. Uh, the one like really controversial, legit controversial bill was House Bill fifteen eighty nine. It was essentially a deal with Puget Sound Energy. It's first off, it's one of these bills that that it doesn't name the company because that's illegal, at mm-hmm. least in Washington and most states, as far as I know. Uh, all the states that I've covered, you know, can't write a bill just to apply it to a single company. So they write it. Uh, you know, this bill only applies to a utility that or utilities that have more than 500,000 customers and offers natural gas service and electric service. Well, guess what? <laughs> There's one of those in the in the state. So, uh you know, it's a bill for Puget Sound Energy it you know without actually naming it. So it essentially would have wound down Puget Sound Energy's natural gas service but in return, it's kind of a, a sweetener for P, with uh, PSE. The original bill was, or the bill was originally written to mandate that PSE would get a sixty percent ownership guarantee in any of the renewable resources that were built uh, and added to its portfolio to handle the increased demand uh, from moving natural gas demand, uh, electrifying that demand. Yeah. Um, and so this for you know the obvious reasons that got a lot of criticism from a lot of people yeah. saying like this is just basically a payoff to PSE. Yeah. Like you're they get automatically 60% of any capacity they add that they need to add or a rate wow. of return on any power purchase agreement. Yeah. Yeah, that those uh those 
parts of the bill were tweaked as it went through. It went to the Senate, came back to the House, where it ultimately died. So, wow. uh, and then you know, in the uh, salmon, the fish mitigation side, uh, some of the more uh, broad, more ambitious legislation again just did not manage to get through. Uh, so, uh, which this bills that people tried to get through last year, last legislative session, again, uh, did not get much traction. They, the legislature did pass uh, dedicating a few million dollars for studying energy transition and uh, transportation irrigation services currently provided by the four lower snake dams, as well as uh, some money for uh, salmon recovery efforts. But on the fish side of things, pretty tepid uh yeah interest from lawmakers so i see one here limiting light pollution from wind turbines it's not an issue you hear about a lot no but uh yeah you know wind turbines are becoming very controversial in central washington mm -hmm. there's a lot of opposition growing opposition to them out there um idaho too for that matter there's uh, I'm not sure if it's as widespread in Idaho, but there's been huge mobilization against uh, the proposed 400 megawatt lava ridge wind farm. Yeah, That's, a lot of yeah. issues with wind, you know, there are massive structures, we all know this. Yeah, and so that bill you mentioned would require uh, wind turbines to put in, so right now, because of planes, they've got the blinking red light that's just going on all the time. So this would require them to put in lights that are triggered by an airplane's transponder. So if a plane gets with it, I don't know the distance, but you know, a few miles or what have you, the red light, red warning lights would then go on and the rest sure. of the time they'd be off, which, you know, I mean, sure. The, you go out into central Washington, there's lots of little areas. There are lots of areas where you see all these twinkling red lights on the horizon. Hmm. Yeah. I imagine that's not great for the viewscape. Yeah, but it, it really is becoming up here. Uh, renewables and especially wind is it's really starting to turn into a uh, almost feels like part of a cultural fight between Western and Eastern Washington. Yeah. Uh, Eastern being more conservative, Western being more liberal, generally speaking. Mm. Uh, that said, I mean, there are serious issues to address, too, but to some degree, the rhetoric at some point it, it's starting to become fairly hyperbolic in some regards, but yeah. this passed with bipartisan support. So there you go. Oh, good. But anyways, since, you know, we don't have that many listeners probably in Washington. Well, we've got plenty, but I'm sure people don't. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully folks are still listening who live outside Washington. Uh -huh. All right. So service connection delays. Yeah, this is uh, a hearing last week at the California Senate Energy Utilities Communications Committee, where Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco has introduced legislation, Senate Bill 83. Originally, he had set a timeline for IOUs and other utilities to connect new customers, which has become a big problem here. The bill was recently amended so that the CPUC, California Public Utilities Commission, will be the one coming up with the deadline 
But a lot of focus on that. Here's a quote from Senator Weiner. California is going to insist on the very basic requirement that when a building is ready to be occupied, business or residential, that the electric utility serving it turns on the damn lights. That's something that should never require a bill. And I'm actually horrified that I actually had to introduce this bill. So he would have rather seen a specific timeline. Uh, he said the CPUC doesn't always adhere to legislative deadlines, but he said this time we're going to make darn sure that the CPUC acts by the deadline. He also said this legislature has held PG&E to such a low standard for so many years, it almost seems like, well, that's just the way it is. And then he read a series of newspaper headlines on the issue. Um, PG&E is kind of the focus of this. That's, of course which serves his district. Uh, and then we had a ton of carpenters and carpenters unions speaking in favor of this legislation, SB 83. Um, and also Corey Smith from California Action Coalition, which advocates for affordable housing, said that it's always been an issue, but the past five to 10 years has been really bad. What's happening is businesses are being built. The, uh, localities are building affordable housing units, but they can't occupy them because it's taking uh, up to years to get electricity to them, um, costing contractors a lot of money. These are all prepaid. Yeah. This is prepaid work. So, yep. And then um, the only voices in opposition to the bill were the IOUs. Valerie Torella, mm -hmm. state government relations manager for PG&E, said... Acknowledge the frustration, said, we're not satisfied with our comments either. We've already taken steps to begin fixing these issues. They said, increased load demand, EV implementation, cannabis cultivation, and electrification is creating a lot more uh, service connection requests than before. But she said, this legislation just sets artificial timelines and penalties that only serve to make things harder or worse. Um, it yeah, says, and then uh, 13 months to connect. Uh, yeah. well, at least that's what one state senator was saying she was hearing about. Shannon being yeah. forced to use generators as electricity as they electrify equipment, a yep. corporate developer being told that it would take five years to hook up services, right? Hook up service. Wow, that is that's a long yeah. time to wait. Yep, and uh, uh, Senator Stephen Bradford from Los Angeles said. This is truly harmful to the state in many different ways. And this is getting a lot of, this is more of a mainstream energy issue. So a lot of bad headlines and sort of more bad press for PG&E, which, you know, and, and this is not just PG&E, but all the IOUs. And, uh, but we'll see. I don't know. You know, supply chain has been a big part of this. Storms, as they said. So right, hopefully yeah. we'll get things kicking a little quicker here. All right. Well, I'm sure you'll bring us an update if things hopefully improve, but if things change for better or for worse. Yep. I'll be tracking this bill. I'll be writing well, about let's, it. Let's go from PG&E to PGE. Uh, okay. Portland General Electric is looking to uh, acquire what they about 181 megawatts of new capacity each year from 2026 through 2028. This is to address a shortfall that they are uh, expecting 
and imminent need for clean energy starting that year 2026. So uh, Oregon Public Utility Commission has stepped in and approved several of their requests to streamline and expedite, expedite the procurement process. Uh, so nothing you know, huge yet, but just another sign of you know, utilities, demand curves, need for clean energy. Uh, we're seeing some pretty steep uh, increases the rest of this decade. And regulators are listening and hearing it and uh, stepping in to, to do what they can to help uh, companies bring on those cleaner uh, new resources sooner. So just nice. one last thing I, I want to add here. Actually, I've got two couple last things that I need to add. So just uh, my colleague Steve Ernst uh, also had a story here on the uh, Bonneville Power Administration that actually is delayed its annual transmission cluster study because of the high volume and complexity of requests for service uh, on its connection queue right now. Uh, Bonneville says it has more than 142 gigawatts of generation interconnection requests in its queue. But as the uh, BPA spokesperson notes, that changes daily. Uh, but I mean, that's just, it is a steep increase, like mind-boggling yeah. uh, increase uh, mm -hmm. from previous years. So, Mostly the, uh, renewables, I would take it. Yeah, the delayed 2023 transmission cluster study is reviewing 17 gigawatts of transmission service requests. That's up from 11 gigawatts last year and 6 gigawatts in 2021. Wow. So, yeah, the the future is coming. So nice. speaking of increasing demand forecasts, uh, I'm going to be reporting on the Pacific Northwest utility. I'm just blanking on what the PNUC. Um, uh, Northwest regional forecast that's going to be showing a pretty steep increase in demand forecast. Uh, so that'll be out this week. Uh, if people are interested, they should definitely come back and check it out because it has some uh, pretty interesting numbers in it. Uh, Pacific Northwest Utilities Conference Committee. There we go. That Pino. I love yeah. that name. Yeah. Sounds like one of the little uh, rascals. <laughs> right. Uh, hey, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was in he was in the background. Uh and he's like, Oh shucks. <laughs> uh I'm sure Peanut had a great tagline, uh, or catchphrase. Yeah, it's one of those acronyms it. that you, I say all the time and I if you ask me at it, I well, I had to look it up to see what all it stands right. for. So that uh does happen. Yeah, so the last thing uh before we let folks go, we've got a Conference coming up actually in June on resource adequacy in the Northwest. Uh, information's at our website, newsdata.com. We're going to have some great speakers, as we always do. Uh, for, for, uh, for more information, go to, you can find it at newsdata.com. In the meantime, I really need to go practice talking because I keep tripping over my words. But otherwise, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole. And Clearing Up is on Twitter at CU News Data. 
California Energy Markets is also on Twitter at CEM News Data. I'm on Twitter, tweeting out the latest energy musings and news at Fordney Energy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.